Last February, in the hours after yet another tragic school shooting, this one in Parkland, Florida, a group of teenagers made a choice. Rather than grieve in silence, they would use their platform to start a movement to bring about real change. This is more than just a march. This is more than just one day, one event. This is a movement. This is a movement relying on the persistence and the passion of its people. In the months since then, March for Our Lives has advocated for gun control legislation and helped register voters all over the country. We will go from city to city, state to state. We are going to harness the passion we witnessed on March 24th. Page had the honor of hosting four of those students at the 2018 Page Annual Conference in Washington, D.C. I'm Sarah Kaufman. I'm 16 years old and a junior at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I'm Casey Sherman. I'm 17 and a senior at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I'm Delaney Tarr. I'm 18 and I am a recent graduate of Stoneman Douglas. I'm Sophie Whitney and I'm 18 and I'm also a recent graduate of Stoneman Douglas. On today's episode, we'll hear the story about the movement they started, why it's galvanizing people of all ages across the country, and the role that companies can play to help drive it forward. Ask you a question. Who here has been affected by gun violence or knows someone that's been affected by gun violence? Can you raise your hand? Can you guys take a look around the room and see how many hands are up? Crazy, isn't it? The conversation was led by Kelly McGinnis, CCO at Levi Strauss, which is one of the companies leading a nationwide effort encouraging companies to do more to help their employees vote. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is the new CCO. So let's start with each of you guys just telling us your story. So the day after February 14th, I was sitting in my bed. I didn't know what to do. I just lost one of my good friends. So I started writing, and I found that it was a really good coping mechanism. The past uh, November, I actually debated about universal background checks for my debate team. So I started writing an editorial that got published in several news outlets. And I just felt a little better making my voice heard. And then the next day, Casey called me and asked if I wanted to help organize the March for Our Lives in our local town, Parkland. And of course, I said yes. I couldn't turn it down. And I was in charge of voter registration. So I started calling voter registration organizations all over Florida. We had 30,000 people who attended the march. In just a couple hours, we got 1,000 people registered to vote. And I knew from there that this movement was just going to continue to grow. And I've learned a lot over the past few months. It's definitely been emotional and really hard to continue after losing so many people from our community. But this has really helped us push forward. And I think it's really important that we come together. And I think that's how we can create the best change. So as a student at Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, after the 14th, it was really hard to know what to do with yourself. And as soon as I got the opportunity to be part of the March for Our Lives in Parkland, I jumped at it. And I took on the role of lead student coordinator and immediately started planning and started building up this team of incredible young student leaders. And over the course of one month, we had to do work that I never really thought I'd have to be doing. I learned things about business that I'd never known before. I learned what the difference between a 501c3 and 501c4 was. Um, and we had to go to City Hall and convince a town of 25,000 to host a march that catered to 30,000. And I think that it was probably one of the most emotionally 
taxing experiences that I've ever had, but also one of the most emotionally rewarding because I've never felt a pride like I felt that day, standing on that stage, watching my peers on that stage. Um, the March in Parkland was different than it was in places all around the world, and we heard from victims, families, the injured students, including Sari and myself, and then afterwards we marched to the memorial site at our school and back. And I remember coming back to the park where the rally had been held after we marched, and the students who had planned it, we all kind of sat in this circle and looked at each other, and you could feel this exhaustion, but you could also feel the passion and the love and the pride, and I remember looking at all of them, and I said, so, what's next? And everyone kind of laughed and like shook their heads, but it really got us thinking, what were we gonna do next? And we came to this idea of creating this organization called Empower the People. And Empower the People is a nonprofit, nonpartisan, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas student-led movement aiming to increase students' voices on both the social and political stages. And we aim to elevate their voices through not just activism and education, but also through the ballot box. Um, I think there's a commonality between a lot of our stories in that immediately after the shooting, we didn't know what to do. And we had so many emotions, so much going on in our heads and in our community that we channeled it through interviews, through op-eds, through speaking out. Personally, I did my first interview the day after the shooting, and it was the first time that I was able to actually channel my emotions about everything that happened. Um, before that, I had been completely numb to it all, but when I started talking about it to this incredibly kind reporter, it just all came flooding out. And from there on, I realized that this is what I needed to keep doing, because not only did it help me, it helped the people around me. It showed them the brutal reality of a situation like this, of the life that we're living and the life that we're gonna have to continue to live. Um, and I don't think we ever expected it to last as long as it did or to grow as big as it did. I personally thought that the cameras were going to go away after two weeks and that we were going to be forgotten about like so many other tragedies before, but the students came together on our living room floors in late night meetings just discussing what we were going to do and out of that was born the National March for Our Lives, which branched into so many other marches like Parkland and all over the country with over 800 sibling marches. And it became this incredible experience of growth and learning and realization of our own power, of our own voices, and how much we can do as young people, and how much you guys can do too. We did the march, it was incredible. We had over 800,000 people there. But after that, we realized that we needed to keep working. We needed to keep moving. And out of that was born the Road to Change, which was our tour across the summer. It was a voter registration effort. We went all across the country. We went all through the state of Florida. And since then, we've been working on just really engaging everyone. I mean, exactly what they said after something so terrible happens, like, what are you supposed to do? We were, we're, all, we were all still in high school. We were all distraught, and we were all confused. But I know that a bunch of fr my friends and I, we were sitting on our living room floors and we were talking about like, what do we do with this platform that we have now because everyone was like, like the entire country, the entire world was looking at us and we, kn we knew we didn't want to use, we wanted to use this to make something good out of it because there was so much, so much sadness in our town that we, th we were trying, we were brainstorming, we wanted to figure out what we were going to do and we decided, we did the march. It reached way more people than I think we ever could imagine reaching in general, let alone for something so polarizing. 800 plus sibling marches, what do we do now? There are so many kids mobilized. They want to do something, but what do they do? So we do the road to change. We go around the entire country and we talk to these people because what we, what we realized is that a lot of people see us on TV and they, they think that we're some 
crazy like crisis actors that have that we're, we're, we have a script that we're being paid to do this. But if you see us face to face and you talk to us, you realize that we're just kids that went through something terrible that want to make something good out of it. And the Road to Change was completely successful. We registered over 10,000 voters, and now we have a huge, huge month month and a half ahead of us before the midterms, and we're really working on building out chapter organizations across the country because so many students and young people across the country want to make a difference, and they are realizing now that their voice is super important. Just picking up on the road to change, one of the things that was really special is that you guys picked people up as you went. Can you explain what that means and sort of what the intent was? Yeah, I mean, we only had one experience of gun violence, and it, it might be our only experience for the rest of our lives, but we can't speak for everyone's experience of gun violence because there are so many different facets. There's domestic abuse, there's inner city gun violence, there's suicides because of gun violence. So we, we didn't want to speak for other people, so we found people that shared, that had those experiences, and we wanted to give them a platform because people were listening to us, but school shootings are not the only kind of gun violence that occurs in this country. Mm -hmm. So you guys talked about this a little bit, but you know this was really different. The fact that it you're, that you are still in the headlines, that we've really made a shift in sort of the national debate around gun violence prevention. Can you tell us what you did that you think made it different this time? I mean, there's a lot of factors that come into play. Sometimes it's the aspects of our own privilege that we're perfectly willing to acknowledge. We're coming from Parkland, which is a relatively wealthy town. We were a group of just a group of wealthier white kids who are talking about an issue that's happening to them. And we were given a platform that other people aren't necessarily. But we also use social media in a way that I don't think many other groups have had the opportunity to do. Um, a lot of us are teenagers who, you know, have Twitter brain. We speak the language. We know how to send out a fiery tweet in three seconds and get a couple hundred thousand retweets. It's, it's just something that we're good at. Um, and it was a strength that we really did play to, especially right after the shooting, when we started going viral and our names started being trending topics on Twitter. It was this strange, surreal world where something that we had spent so much time on before, you know, wasting our time, became essentially our job. Um, and that was a really good, important thing for us, was that we could use social media to create a direct message to give to people, rather than just going on the news and having an interview that might be edited together to seem a certain way, we were directly saying what we wanted people to hear, and they were receiving it right in their phones. It was so much easier to connect with them. Yeah, so I think it's definitely about technology because we've never been as advanced as we are now. And I think another part of it is when Sandy Hook happened, the parents went to Capitol Hill, they lobbied, they tried to make a change, but nothing really caught on, not just because of technology, but because the people of America didn't have anybody to get behind. And then after we lived through it, they had this set of faces, these people that they could connect with and relate to that reminded them of friends at home uh, who went through the same issues as they did. And it was people that they could support and really rally behind. And I think that that made a really huge difference. Did you want to add something, sorry? Yeah, and to add, since we had an event, the news had to cover before and after it. And that really perpetuated us getting a lot more coverage than just, like Delaney said, only two weeks after. And then it's out of the news cycle. So that really helped. You have an audience here of corporate leaders who I suspect now are all wondering how they can help. What advice would you have for them? And what would you ask them to do to help support your cause? I mean, the first thing is uh, voting. It's pretty important. Um, we're usually talking to teenagers who can vote, so it's very exciting to know that you guys are all at the, the right age to be able to do so. Um, <laughs> but it's more than that, because 
we as young people, we can be influential in our own ways, but you guys have the resources to be influential in world markets. And that's an incredibly exciting thing for us. It's an opportunity that we haven't necessarily been granted before. But when you look at organizations like Levi's, who are currently partnering with Headcount on voting, voting and voter registration, like products and campaigns, that's really accessible to young people, to everybody, honestly, because it's taking a language that so many people speak, taking something that so many people are interested in and engaged in, and just sneaking in the topic of voting and voter registration. It's almost like tricking people into caring, <laughs> but it, it works. It truly works. And we've been partnering with so many different groups and companies and organizations that have been pushing out these campaigns, and it's become so much more influential because it is in every facet of people's lives. And if we can truly show people the importance of voting, of change, social change, all of it, in every part of their lives, we can get a lot more done. And since you all have so much influential, I was just talking to Kelly right before this, even something like offering discounts to someone who can prove that they voted on November 6th could increase civic engagement so much and could you know, make people want to vote because then they get something out of it. And if we start from there, then it will turn into they're just going to want to vote. But I think they need a step in the right direction. Um, and also, I think that like over the course of the past couple of months, we've obviously gained a lot of life experience. And we've had to navigate an entire side of the world that we, didn't, we were never exposed to before. Um, but even so, I think that all of you have the life experience, the work experience, and just the general knowledge and background that we lack to really help us kind of take what we're doing to the next level. And I know that one of the things that Sarah and I have talked about for Empower the People is after midterms really focusing on the educating aspect of everything. And I think that one of the huge parts of that is helping people to see how not just elections on the national level, but on the state level and the local level are of equal importance because those are the laws and regulations that affect them every single day and a lot of people neglect to realize that. And I think that's a really important thing, but it's just about tailoring that information in a way that they will actually grasp it. Because you can make pamphlets and we've discussed that idea too, but you don't really, they don't understand they don't take the time to read it and understand it, and I think that that's an issue, and we need to figure out how to convey it to people in a way that they will actually take it and do something with it and make educated decisions and go vote. Mm -hmm. For sure. And people say that the movement of getting young people out could make a difference in this election. So um, I will take this moment to say thank you to all. One of the things that we as employers have been pushing is for um, People say that they don't have enough time. Like one of the top reasons that they don't go is because they don't they don't have time. So employers are lining up together to encourage their employees to vote. No meetings on election day, things like that. And I think everybody got an email on that last night. So if anybody wants to learn more, please join us. One of the things that's incredibly unfortunate and that breaks my heart on this topic is the fact that there's so much negativity and particularly the threats. And um, give a little bit of context of the real real of for you guys as you've been on the bus tour and um, organizing the marches. We've, um, we've dealt with a lot of opposition. That's what I'm going to call it. Um, because there's some other words that they've used towards us that I, they're just not appropriate for this room. Or any room, really. But we, we do have a lot of people that it's not even that they disagree with us. It's that they call us these awful names. They send us death threats. They swat our houses. Many members of the march did have their houses swatted, which means that people were calling in, saying that they were in the house and holding people hostage. Um, we had to have, we had so many different events on the road to change where we would have people literally trying to get physical with us. Grown adults trying to get physical with a group of teenagers that are just voicing their opinions. And it's ridiculous, and it's upsetting, but 
at the same time, we know that the only way that we can really look at it is with a light heart um, to essentially find the humor in being called a horrible, cruel name, um, in being called so many things that you're not, a crisis actor, media trained, paid, all of that, just vulgar words. I can't stress the vulgar words enough. I've gotten actual letters of like people just telling me that I deserve to die. Um, but we have to keep a light heart about it because the moment that we let that bog us down is the moment that we let them win. Because these people, they're just afraid of us. They don't have an actual standpoint against us. It's that they hate us and they fear us. So they have to be volatile and filled with vitriol. And ultimately, when we stand above that, when we share our message, when we just clear up these misconceptions, we can get so much more done than if we stoop to their level. Sorry. <laughs> That is really well said. And um, something else is to find the common ground between us and then someone who's opposing our viewpoint. And if you're able to find that common ground and agree on one thing such as like, no one should be scared for their lives in school, malls, concerts, et cetera, and then build off from there, you can come to a logical conclusion that people should be safe and that you should have guns responsibly and that there should be some regulation. Um, I think, uh, go ahead. I think another thing that helps is just the inherent belief that what we're doing is the right thing because the work that we do is emotionally draining, physically draining, but we know we're doing the right thing and we know it's what we have to do. And I think when it comes to protesters and haters, it's just remembering that and remembering why we did this in the first place, that they're, they're not important. Yeah, Go ahead, similar to what Sophie was saying, I think that it's, um, it's really difficult to have a lot of people against you, but it's those people who do support you and you know you are helping that really make it a lot easier and they remind you of why you started doing all of this in the first place and I know that I try to share like my story and share who I am with people wherever I go because my thought process is okay if they get to know me somebody who was affected by gun violence then and they get to care about me either I'll remind them of someone in their life that they're that they care about or they'll care about me so they begin to care about gun violence as well and they'll see that it is an issue that needs to be addressed. And I think that the positive impact of that that kind of reminds me why I did it is comes when um, people tell me that, I've been told a couple of times that before meeting me, they didn't realize how terrible this issue was, how big of a problem it was, and that I really helped them to want to get involved and make a difference. And hearing that is probably one of the most incredible things ever, and it kind of just makes you feel a lot better about what you're doing and reminds you that it's worth it. What are you most proud of in this work that you've done over the past several months? I'm proud of the people that we've inspired. I mean, I don't want to like pat myself on the back for this, <laughs> but it, drew, it truly is so incredible to see when people are motivated and activated to create change in their own communities. Because yeah, the work that we do, we consider it to be very important, but when other people are doing that work, people who haven't even been affected by gun violence, organizing their own marches, their own voter registration drives, and having their own chapters, that is really the most impactful to us because that's what keeps us going. That's what shows us that this movement won't die out because the people of this country, the young people of this country are motivated. They're dedicated to keeping this movement going, to keeping this message going. And that's Really what keeps me the most proud is that other people are doing this too and that our movement is so much more than just a group of students from Parkland it's international at this point point. and I think something else that has made me really proud is before I don't think 
that like a lot of business communication executives would listen to a bunch of teenagers. And I think um, that has definitely made me really proud. And now other teenagers like ourselves feel that they have a voice and that they can create change at such a young age. Um, I think it's hard to pick one proud moment throughout all of this, and it is bittersweet, of course, but um, I think that it's a combination of things. I mean, standing on a stage in Parkland, looking out at 30,000 people who were all so emotionally damaged and all they wanted was to feel something other than anger and sadness, and being able to do that for them and give them that sense of hope, I've never felt anything close to that in my entire life, nor will I ever probably. Um, I think that there's so many people who have something to say, they just don't have the place or the opportunity to say it. And that's not fair. You shouldn't have to go through a school shooting to be able to speak your mind and say what you feel and what you believe. And I think that what I know through Empower the People, we've really been able to give these students a chance to speak their mind and actually make a change. What do you hope will change in five years? I hope we don't have to be doing this anymore. Literally, we always say that like our end goal is that the March for Our Lives doesn't have to exist, that we aren't essential to our democracy, because at this point, this is pretty much the, the access point for young people to get engaged. This is what they know. And we want to make it a norm. We want five years from now it to be a norm for young people to vote, for everyone to vote, really. We want it to be something that everyone just expects to be involved in their democracy, to do some sort of civic engagement, be that protesting or organizing. It's, it's all about just changing the culture around voting, the culture around gun violence, the culture around the way that we view politics as a whole, so that we can become a more engaged democracy that really can affect powerful social change. I hope people don't think of voting as a hassle, but instead of what it is a right and a privilege. So I think that's really important. Um, I think also something that I really hope is that we're able to have healthy discourse, because right now that's a really difficult thing. and. It's very evident, especially after what we've been through, just, just with the topic of gun violence, that people have a really tough time with that. And when somebody disagrees with something that you feel really strongly about, it is difficult to kind of sit back and just listen to what they have to say without automatically getting up and disagreeing and arguing and trying to show them why you're right. I think that the realization comes when we acknowledge that none of us are actually right. Nobody knows how to fix any solution, any problem. There's no one single solution. And in order to have any hope of making progress and having a safer future, we need to come together and acknowledge that because nobody actually has the answers, we need each other. And everybody knows something that you don't know. You can always learn from somebody around you, no matter what it is. And I think that once we realize that and begin to take those little pieces to bring them together, we can actually come to a cohesive solution that can help us have a safer future. Most of you have just gone back to school. How are you juggling this work with homework? Um, <laughs> well, it's definitely been really hard, especially since I'm taking a really heavy class load. And then during my class, I'm like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. But I'm really like sending emails or calling somebody. <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely been stressful. But it's all worth it. And I just keep going. So I originally planned on going to school this fall. Um, but after the march happened and after the summer tour happened, I think I realized that I wouldn't be able to dedicate myself fully enough to my education if I went right to school, and that there was so much that needed to be done before midterms, and I just, I really, I knew that I needed to be home and I needed to be working for that entire semester that I'm taking off, because it is so essential that we can make progress on voting in the midterm elections, in every election, yes, but the midterms are, 
incredibly key to what we're doing right now. It means so much changed in my life from February 14th to graduation that I, I don't even think I would have been ready to leave yet. Like I don't, I knew that I had to do this work and I knew that this work was important, especially going into midterms that I had, I, I knew that college would be there when I was done. Mm -hmm. What's been most surprising? Um, I think the most surprising thing is the fact that, like, the, the, the perceptions that people have about the March for Our Lives and about us. Um, I've had people, my own grandparents even ask me if David Hogg was an actual student, which surprised me because I was like, you're my grandparents, you should, like, <laughs> trust me. Um, no, but it's always surprising to know that people's perceptions can be so influenced by the media that they consume and by the perspectives that they're seeing. But it's especially surprising to see that it can be changed so easily by just explaining things to them. Some man, I remember we had, uh, we had a town hall. His name was Solo. That was his name. He introduced oh, himself as Solo. <laughs> um, and he walks up to us and he's like, you guys want to take guns away from women that are trying to defend themselves from men that are trying to like abuse them? And we were like, no, that's literally like, we support women and we support the defense of women. We want to keep guns out of the hands of the abusers, not out of the law abiding citizens. And after that, he kind of was just like, oh, like, cool, I guess I agree with you on that. <laughs> like, he didn't realize that but he, he didn't agreed with us. he didn't admit to us that he agreed with us, but no. he knew we were on the same page. This was a man named Solo. I don't think he would have done that. I don't know, he's in a while. It was his only name, his name was Solo. Um, but people don't realize that they agree with us and that they support us because of the perceptions that they have from different influences. And that's always so surprising to me, is how easy it is to change their minds just by explaining things. I mean, for me, I've gained a little bit more of a cynical view of things because I was surprised by how many people are so self-motivated. And I think that that's been a really tough thing to come to terms with because We've been invited to things, or even these reporters who reach out to you, and they're using you for a good story because it is for their job, and um, I understand that, but like, we're still kids, and even that day when we left school, you have reporters on the side of the road with microphones and cameras waiting to snatch you off like flies and like just interview you right as you walk out of the building, and we're walking down the road just trying to find our parents, and we have no idea what's going on. We're confused. We're scared. We just want to go home. They call you all the time and like ask you all these things, and um, I've definitely had to get much better at sticking up for myself and what I'm comfortable with doing, and also being wary of people's motives. And I now notice that no matter what, if people reach out to help me, I always have to think, okay, why do they want to help me? Like, what are they getting out of this? And it's definitely going to help me in life, but it also, I also wish I didn't have to think like that. But I mean, I do because every like people are self-motivated. It's just how we are. And there are some people who aren't, but I mean, you just have to think about that now, and it's something that I wish I didn't, but you know, it's reality now. Right. Yeah. I think the most surprising thing to me is, like when you watch the news, you think that there's two extreme opposite sides, and like what Delaney and Sophie were saying, that like, I think it's easier than people think to find that common ground. Um, and I think that's like the most surprising thing I've learned. I think if you have an issue that you want to vote for, like, then if, as long as you're voting, you should vote for that issue. Yeah, we tell people that like we know that we care about gun violence prevention and that not everybody is going to care about that, but everyone cares about something. You just have to find that passion, find that something, and keep pursuing it. That's really all that it is. That is where activism is born out of. It is finding your passion and it is pursuing your passion as much as you can in whatever ways that you can.
Good morning, Anthony Gooch from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Uh, thank you very much for your testimony and also for your courage and, and bravery. It takes quite a lot to do what, what you have done. I have two questions. The first one is uh, what uh, reverse mentoring would you provide for us, uh, given the experience that you've had, the uh, age range that you represent, and the desire that exists in this room to uh, apply certain lessons in terms of activism, and at the same time, we are perhaps part of different experiences to, to yours. And the second question relates to uh, the system that you are inviting people to participate in. To what degree would you like to see that system evolve as well? So the participation is an important element, but are there some misgivings that you have about the democratic system as it stands now and the types of improvements that you might recommend and like to see, again, from your demographic as digital natives? Um, in terms of the first part of the question, it was about reverse mentoring, correct? Um, something that I can say as a young person is that young people love like woke capitalism. They mm -hmm. love it. They get so excited when a company takes some sort of stance on literally anything. It could just be voting, but taking a stance on something, putting a rainbow flag on your product, gets people so excited. And it sometimes is scary. It's a risk to take because it can be controversial, but it just it ultimately rewards in profit and in having this, this legend now, being this, this company that has taken a, a stance for something that is a positive thing. Um, and in terms of the second part of your question was? What do you want to change about the system? Oh, right. Diversity. That's something that we're very, very, very hard pushing for is that we need more diversity in the voices in politics because our country is diverse. Because there are so many different types of people, different types of perspectives in our country, and we need our democracy to reflect that. Yeah, and there's literally different voter registration laws for every single state in this country. It's so confusing. Every state we travel to, our voter registration had to be different because every the voter laws are so complicated and messy that it's almost like people didn't want us to vote. <laughs> I know you couldn't see it, but the audience gave a standing ovation as these young leaders walked off stage. That was a remarkable moment. But what they really need is your help. For more information, please go to marchforourlives.com. Special thanks go to The Home Depot and to Rivet Smart Audio for making this season of the new CCO possible. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate a rating or a review. We'd like it even more if you'd subscribe and encourage others to do the same. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.